Well, good morning, everyone. And I want to say a, a special good morning to the Riley family who brought their newest addition, Nicholas Anthony. And so we are glad to see you guys here. That's great. Everybody who uh, knows me well knows that uh, babies are near and dear to my heart. So it's a ton of fun to see new little ones and to see them here. So uh, praise the Lord for that. Um, I want to, uh, before I go to prayer, I really want us to think about the video that we watched on uh, the, the, the oral arguments that the Supreme Court is going to hear on Tuesday regarding whether or not they will make uh, an official definition or redefinition of marriage at that level. And uh, we were talking about this in Sunday school. This is a big deal. And basically, the Supreme Court is debating whether or not they will redefine something that God himself has defined. And that's scary, that, that they would consider that kind of thing, that our, that our country would decide uh, such a thing, whether we, we will agree with God on this or we will go a different direction. And so that's sobering to me, that our, our uh, country as a whole is thinking in that regard. And we saw the statistics, saw the video, and it's challenging, it's encouraging, but I would, I would encourage us, it's, it's challenging, it's encouraging in the sense that 81% of the population thinks that, uh, that this shouldn't be happening, that the, the oral arguments that are going on in, uh, that we're gonna, that they're gonna hear on Tuesday, that's a discussion we shouldn't even be having. And yet, uh, there's a portion of our population that is driving it and driving it hard, and the rest of us are gonna, gonna bear the brunt. And so, uh, they encouraged us in that video to repent before the Lord. And of course, when we're repenting in such a regard, when I'm repenting in such a regard, of course, I'm not repenting for my own uh, faulty views on what marriage should be. I, I believe I get my views of what marriage should be from the Bible. It is one man and one woman married before God, and it's to last for a lifetime. And so, um, but I am a citizen of this country. I live in this country. I am... Uh, a part of the community, a part of the group. And so in, in some sense, I bear um, guilt, if not personal responsibility, but I bear some guilt as being an American. And so I want to go before the Lord and I want to repent before him of what our nation has done. Uh, and, and somehow I'm a part of that. And, and we, we've been given a unique opportunity. I don't, I don't talk about I, I do my best not to talk about politics too much uh, from up here, but we have been given an opportunity that's unique in history, that the decisions that our leaders make, we get to have a say in it. There, there are many cultures and there have been many cultures and countries throughout the history of the world where you're just at the mercy of the king or you're just at the mercy of the emperor and you've got no say in it. Well, of course, we're, we're to live as Christians in, in that regard. We, we are in a, a situation here where we get to have some sort of a say in the decisions that they make and the directions that they go. And so in a very uh, great sense, it, this weighs on me because I, I'm an adult, I'm a voting age, I'm a dad, uh, I have responsibilities and, and uh, position in the community, etc. And for such a thing to change on my watch, um, I, I feel like I'm going to, uh, that's heavy, that weighs heavy, I'll say that. That's heavy on me, that it would happen during my lifetime, that we would that we would take such a path when God has given us an ability to speak into these situations, and we can do that. Of course, when we vote, you can pick up the phone and you can call senators and you can call congressmen. Uh, you can you can send letters. There are things you can do to uh, to make your voice known in this kind of context. 
I believe God is sovereign. He's sovereign over these kind of situations, but he has sovereignly put us in a situation in our country where we get to uh, bend the ear of the people who are making policy. And I think we need to take advantage of that. We need to, uh, to speak into that. So I won't go on any more about that, but I want to go to the Lord and, and, uh, and bend the Lord's ear on this issue. So let's pray. Father, we uh, come to you this morning trusting that you are sovereign, trusting that you are good. And yet we know that uh, throughout history there have been many, uh, many times when countries that honored you began to dishonor you. And uh, people who honored you began to dishonor you. And we don't want to be those people and we don't want to be that country. Lord, I, I see a direction that our nation is heading. And I see that uh, all too often I keep my mouth closed on those issues. And what I'm doing is allowing things to continue head that, heading that direction without my input that we should stop, that we should turn around, that we should repent. Lord, we... Uh, even right now as a nation, uh, as starting in this church and others who are praying today, Lord, we, we want to repent before you of these notions that we've gotten into our mind that we get to define marriage, that we get to define things that you have laid out in Scripture that is not a right we have. And when we take it upon ourselves and go that direction, I fear that we will bear your wrath. And so I pray that that would not be the case, case in our nation. I pray that uh, even... In this time, as we lead up to the Supreme Court uh, arguments and then later on to the decision, I pray that, uh, that, that you would bring change in our nation, that people would wake up to the reality of you, to the reality that you are the one who has given us life, you are the one who's given us freedom, and you are the one that we should submit to in that, that we don't define those things for ourselves and we don't... Uh, we don't uh, go for some special interest group or pave a new way because in the name of progress or any of that, but that we are to be submitted to you. Lord, I pray that you would do that. I pray that you would work in our nation. And, and I confess to you that it seems like uh, that's an impossibility because uh, 300 million people plus is such a juggernaut, such a massive ship to turn around to change. Uh, but I'm encouraged that not everyone on the ship uh, thinks this way. Actually, the majority agree that marriage is between one man and one woman, as you've defined in Scripture, and yet we so often keep our mouths shut. But Lord, I pray that you would work, sovereign God of the universe, I ask that you would grant repentance in our nation. I pray that we would begin to follow you, that we would begin to follow you in big public decisions like this, in small family ways, in private ways, that churches would follow after you hard, that they would seek you in your word, that they would be obedient to you by the power of your spirit. I pray that Christians everywhere would take on the call of the Great Commission and share the gospel with those around them, make disciples everywhere that they go, back, baptizing them and teaching them. Lord, I pray that, that you would do that. I pray that you would bring that change in our lives. And in, in the private, secret ways of our minds, I pray that you would bring repentance. The way we think about the opposite sex, the way we think about money, the way we think about power, the way we think about the people we hate, the way we think about the people we love, the, the things deep down in our hearts that you would work and bring repentance in those ways, that before you we would be submitted to you, not just making a decision that lines up with Scripture, but that we would be submitted to you as our Lord and as our Master and as our Savior. Lord, I pray that you would do that in our nation.
Lord, starting even now, as we turn to your word, we look at uh, three different, four different passages this morning. I pray that we would be submitted to your word. I pray that you, by your spirit, would speak to us, that we would be sensitive and that we would be responsive. Lord, have your way this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are beginning a six-week series together, and we're going to be looking at leadership development. And we're going to look at, at various aspects of it, personal discipleship, where that comes into play, some larger things about uh, maybe doctrinal training or understanding Scripture and what that's supposed to look like, how we can bring that about, etc. And we're going to start today uh, where all of this starts. And I think it's fitting that it would be on, on this Sunday where we're so focused on praying for uh, families and the definition of marriage in our country, we're going to start in the family. And uh, that, that's really where leadership development starts. And so I've, I've called this message uh, Homegrown Leaders. And uh, I want to look at a, a couple of different things in that regard. As I was contemplating this, I'm, I'm not really big on topical type sermons. I like to be given a passage and then dig into it and see what God says there. But there's definitely a time when you want to back off and you want to look at a topic and discuss a subject that's going to take you over maybe several passages. And and even when we do that, we want to be bound by God's word and we want to be rooted and grounded in it. And that's what we're going to do this morning. So open it to Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you would. Deuteronomy chapter 6. There are some powerful, powerful words here. I'm going to read starting in verse 4, and I'm going to read through verse 9, and then I'm going to jump down towards the end of the chapter there and read the last paragraph, okay? So we're in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, so fifth book of the Bible, so all the way to the left. Starting in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And with all your soul and with all your might and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house And when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates and jump down to verse 20 when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of this, of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all his commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. So here in this passage, we have an exhortation to teach children. That's the first point in your outline, an exhortation to teach children. This is a powerful passage for various reasons. And it's, it starts off, I love this, it starts off in verses 4 and 5 about us truly loving God ourselves. He says we are to love God truly 
ourselves before this whole thing starts, this teaching situation. This passage right here, verse 4, chapter 6 and verse 4 is called the Shema. And uh, I, I always think of it as the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. That, you know, you can watch, turn on any any you know, basketball game or typically football games, you see a John 3.16, some guy holding up a sign, right? Well, if they had football back then and they didn't, but they would have been, you know, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's, it's, the found, it's foundational for their understanding of who God is, of all of biblical doctrine. Uh, it was, it was, it's really grounded in here, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Right. And they would they repeat this before class or uh, it's it's a it's a regular prayer. It's it's a part of their lives and and it's the foundation. And so he says there in verse four, he gives the Shema hero Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And he goes to verse five. And you've heard this before in some version or another. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. I love that because couple of reasons there's a very interesting figure of speech in there and it's it's called polysundeton i'm sure you can write that out and go look that up later google that polysundeton but what it means is there are lots of ands right when you give a list and you're writing a list you normally write the first thing comma second thing comma third thing and last thing right that's the way you write it if you want to draw attention though if you write an and between each one it spreads it out and it makes people focus on each one. And that's the point of this figure of speech. Who cares that it's called polysundeton? But it's an important figure of speech that makes us zoom in and focus on each aspect. Look at that. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. See how it slows it down? It makes us think about it. He doesn't just say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, might, and might. It's not the way he does it. He slows it down. He wants to think about these aspects. That's the first thing I love about it. The second thing I love about it is the fact that it doesn't leave anything out. Right? Where's the escape clause? I'm going to love God with this stuff, but not with this stuff. There's nothing over here. Right? It's all included over here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. And some of you are thinking, hey, where's the brain? Where's the mind? Right? Where's the mind? Well, in the Hebrew mindset, the heart was not just... Like for us, the, the seat of the emotions, but it's also the seat of the intellect is the heart. And so it's included right in there that, that our, our emotions are to be bound up in God's word. Our thinking is to be rooted and grounded and guided by God's word. Right? And so that's a, it's, it's all encompassing. And with all your soul, all that you are, and with all your strength, as strongly as powerfully as you can, love the Lord your God. It's all encompassing. And so the passage is going to go on to talk about how we teach our kids, and where we teach our kids, and what we teach our kids. But it starts with you. And it starts with an understanding of who God is and a personal commitment to him. And that's an important part there. To truly love God yourself. And then he moves on. He moves down the passage there, verse 6, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So teach your children. Teach your children. First of all, truly love God yourself. Second, teach your children. 
pass them on. In what context? Around the kitchen table? Absolutely. When you're praying with them at night, when you're putting them to bed? Absolutely. Early in the morning when they're grumpy and they haven't, haven't uh, had breakfast yet and you haven't had coffee yet? <laughs> yeah, that's a good time to teach them also. When you're driving somewhere and you see something happen, the point is take every opportunity that you can to teach your kids. Sometimes you're going to have the Bible open and you're going to be reading it and explaining it to them. This is what it means. Other times you're going to be working side by side and you're going to observe something about human nature or about the way God designed something or about the, uh, something that's happening in the world and you get a chance to teach your kids. Pass on to them the truths that you know about God and about how to walk with him. And I want you to notice this, this isn't just skill for living type stuff. We're going to move on to Proverbs in, in point number two. But this is, remember it started with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might and pass it on to your kids. That's what he's talking about. He's not just talking about training them how to do such and such, right? But how to love God, how to walk with God. It's a strong point. Let's include our kids in our own faith. Let's bring them along with us. As, uh, as a family, we've, we've not always done, I've not always done great at this by any means. But sometimes when we've had very difficult decisions to make, it's, it's been a great opportunity to bring the kids in before the decision's made when we don't know how it's going to go and we don't know what decision we're going to make. Bring them into that, not just to get their input. Yeah, we want their input. We want them to be praying and they want, we want them to see us praying so that as we're going through this decision and agonizing over it, they can see us and how we're making decisions. And then they get to see, did it really go south? <laughs> and we'll be right there with them to teach them even then. So include your kids, include your kids. And thirdly, not only are we uh, to truly love God ourselves and then teach our children, but also testify to your children. Verses 20 through 25, that last paragraph of the chapter, when your son asks you in time to come, why do we do all this stuff? Why do we teach this stuff? What's the point? Then what are you supposed to do? Well, they were supposed to say, well, let me tell you, son, we were slaves in Egypt. Pharaoh kept us there and it was rough. And God came in and he delivered us with his mighty right hand so that he could give us life, so that he could give us opportunity, so that he could bless us in the land like we're in right now. God has been faithful. We are to testify to our children. Tell God, tell, tell your kids what God has done in your life. It's a great opportunity. And your kids need to hear that. You know, I think of my situation, having, having become a Christian a little bit later, I was 18, became a Christian. Well, there's a lot of life that went on before I was 18. And I want my kids to know what God saved me from. I want, I want my kids to see the grace of God in my life. So I want to tell them about my failures. I want to tell them about my successes. I want to tell them about things that God did that I could never have expected. I want to include them. I want to testify to my kids about what God has done in my life. That's instructive. A lot of the growth that, uh, that I have had in my life, like we were talking at our elders retreat, talking about the influence of Bob Burroughs in our lives and how he discipled many of us. And I could look around the room and there are various others that, that he discipled that, that we, we uh, haven't acknowledged yet. But he discipled a lot of people. And so we were saying, okay, well, what was it that he taught that was so valuable and so powerful to us? Here I was, a brand new believer at 18 years old, right? Didn't have, a lot, didn't have any Christian experience, didn't even know a lot of Christians. 
I don't remember what Bob taught me. I remember his stories. And I remember his influence. And I remember his infectious love for Jesus. And that it built in me a desire to want to follow Jesus like that myself. It was relational. I don't remember the stuff he taught me. Now, he taught me a lot of things. And I think I probably don't remember it because it's foundational for everything. That was the, that was the foundation for my Christian life was the stuff that he taught me. But I couldn't tell you a particular lesson or anything like that. But I can remember stories about how God had worked in his life. So testify to your children. In the, the video that um, they, it referred to the speech by Ronald Reagan back in like 1961, and where, where freedom is, is uh, always, you know, we're always one generation away from losing freedom. And, and that's true of, of, of Christianity also. You see, Christianity is, is not the kind of thing that you're born into. You can be born into a Christian home and hear the gospel from early in your life. And that's, that's what we, we uh, pray for our kids. And I, I, that's, their, that's their experience. But if, if it's not caught personally, if it's not passed on personally from one person to another, then we're going to lose it. Right? We're going to lose it. And that's the point here in Deuteronomy. Because Moses writing and God speaking knew that if if this generation that saw this amazing stuff that God did if they didn't tell future generations about it the future generations wouldn't know about it and wouldn't care and you end up losing what God has done in your life so parents take the opportunity to pass it on to your kids what God has done in your life pass it on to them point number two we have an example of teaching children turn to Proverbs so right in the middle of your Bible, you're going to find Psalms. And if you turn to the right just a little bit, you're going to find Proverbs. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 1. Now, Proverbs is, is a, a very interesting book. Probably most people have read something of Proverbs, even if you don't really have much biblical knowledge or experience. You've read something of Proverbs. And it's, it's basically, at least large parts of it, are basically uh, in the form of a letter written from Solomon, the dad, to his son. To instruct him in wise living, right? And so it's passing on teaching. It's passing on how to live life from father to son. And so uh, it's a great example of teaching children. And uh, so I want to look at it. We're not going to look at, obviously, the whole book. That would be valuable, but it would take forever. (laughs) So we're going to look at a couple of verses. We're going to read verses 7, 8, and 9 of Proverbs chapter 1. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. You notice where he he began? This This is the very beginning of the book, right? It's 31 chapters long. There's a lot of stuff to come, and he's just in the, like, introduction portion. Right. And what is he what how's he building? How's he selling this to us? What's he what what's he founding the whole thing on? Verse seven, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of instruction. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's founded on the fear of the Lord. It's the same as Deuteronomy six, four. Right. He's Deuteronomy six, four. He led into. So teach your kids. And he started with love the Lord, your God, the one true God with all that you are. 
and then pass it on to your kids. And it's the same thing here. The whole book is about wisdom. It's called wisdom literature, right? You learn about skill for living. You learn about how to walk with God, how to understand the world in light of the fact of, of the reality of God's existence and his relationship with us, etc. It's wisdom. And he says it starts with the fear of the Lord. So again, point A, it begins with godliness, just like it did in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It begins with godliness. <coughs> I, could, I could harp on this for a long time. What do we want to talk about? The fear of the Lord. What does it mean to, to fear the Lord? To be scared of him and run away? That's, that's not what it means. Though, if you're an unbeliever, yes. You should be scared of him and you should run away. He's, he's destructive. He, you've made yourself his enemy and that's not a good place for you. But in Christ, because we, we have forgiveness in Christ, because he's drawn us into relationship with himself, for those of, those of us who know Christ, those of us who have been forgiven and realized our condition without Christ, our condition as God's enemies, as sinners, and have been reconciled to God through Jesus, for those people, there's still a fear of the Lord. But it's not the runaway kind of fear. Run away, run away. That's not that kind of fear. It's the kind of fear when you're standing on, on the edge there at Niagara Falls and you're watching, you're watching the Niagara Falls and zillions of gallons of water and all that power dumping over the edge. That's frightening. I mean, if you slipped and fell off that little walkway that you're on, you'd be right in it. Boom, you'd be down, dead, squashed. The end of you. But you're standing on a platform and there's a rail and it's safe. So you might be shaking a little bit because this is big stuff, but you're also safe. It's that combination of those two. That's what it means to fear the Lord, to have that sort of reverence for him. You don't go dinking around. Hey, I think I'll jump off this uh, platform just because, you know, I, I could jump over that and then you're dead, right? You don't do that. Like you have a little respect. You don't mistreat this because it's going to kill you, right? We know that God is massive. He's all powerful. He's the creator of the universe, and I, and I am alive on this earth, but for a time, and I'm fallen, and I'm finite. I'm going to have a proper respect towards him, fear of the Lord, and that's the beginning of knowledge. That's, that's just step one. That's step one of knowledge. That's step one of wisdom, right? You can look at someone in the world who doesn't know God, doesn't have a fear of the Lord, and they might be the smartest guy in the world. They might be super wise and be able to navigate these things, navigate life and make zillions and make good decisions and be a philanthropist, be this, that, all these other things. But if they haven't gotten step one figured out, then there's something missing the whole way, right? It begins with the fear of the Lord. So first of all, it begins with godliness. Second, secondly, it builds into life. Point B, verse 8 there, it builds into life. Hear, my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. So he says, start with fear of the Lord, and now I'm going to teach you some stuff. There's practical application in our lives from the fear of the Lord. It, it helps us make decisions day to day, financial decisions, relationship decisions, decisions about your future, decisions about your business, about your home, about everything. There are practical implications. There are outworkings from fearing the Lord. So it builds into life. And I could give examples in my own life of, of times when I've made decisions 
And then I think after I've made the decision, that doesn't line up with what I know to be true of God at all. Why did I make that decision? And so you try and go back and change that decision. But the point is that the fear of the Lord guides and builds the platform for these future decisions. This is all in the context of teaching our kids, teaching our kids. Thirdly, it benefits the child. Look at verse 9. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. There's going to be benefit in your life, child, from the teaching of your parents, from the godly instruction of your parents. You're going to reap the benefits in your own life. You may not see them immediately. You may kind of be frustrated, actually, immediately. You're going to see benefit by keeping your parents' godly instruction. It benefits the child. So this, this has a couple of different points. First of all, for the front row. There are, there, are other, there are other young people in here too, but they tend to congregate right here, so right within striking range. For you guys, obey your parents. Listen to their instruction. Do, do what he says here. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Keep your, keep your parents' instruction. We had a party at our house yesterday, and it was a, a great time. Uh, we enjoyed the rain. We went inside and enjoyed it raining outside or being soggy out there. But I heard, I heard a mom instructing her son. It's just easier to obey your parents. You know, I, I wish I'd have gotten that as a kid, you know, boy, if I'd have obeyed, I could have dodged all kinds of bullets, but no, I had to go my own way and take them right in the forehead. <laughs> it's never good. So young people, children, obey your parents. They're trying to teach you. They've, they've made those mistakes and they're saying, if you do this thing, that will be a mistake and it will have consequences. So do this thing instead. Listen to them, right? They've been there before. They've screwed that up or they've, they've, uh, they've done some things right and they're trying to teach you. So that's the application for you guys. Parents, pass that information on to your kids. You've got this experience. You've walked the path and, and you may have this much wisdom, <laughs> but pass that on. Pass it on to your kids, right? The things that you have learned in life, they need to learn. The bullets you did not dodge, why don't you help them dodge theirs? Let's pass those things on. And notice, just like in Deuteronomy, the same thing here, it starts with the truth of walking with Christ, of knowing and loving God. And build on your instruction there. Start with that foundation and build from there. So first of all, we had exhortation to teach children, and then we had an example of teaching children. And now turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, where uh, we see that we are expected to teach children. 1 Timothy chapter 3. So you're going to go way to the right, almost to the back. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to see here, first of all, that it's the father's responsibility. Now, you could put primarily in there, primarily. It's the father's responsibility. We have an interesting situation in 1 Timothy chapter 3 where we have uh, overseers, the qualifications for overseers, right? So the idea is that you have this person who's a candidate to be an overseer, an elder in the church, a leader in the church, and uh, Paul says there are certain qualifications. The man who's going to take that role should should have these things in line and lays out those qualifications. And I want to zoom in on, on one aspect here. Verses 4 and 5 of First Timothy chapter 3. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive, 
For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So one aspect of this guy's qualifications is not just that he'd be good at such and such and not have these kind of things in his life and, and have obeyed the Lord in these ways. But look at it. It zooms in on his family. It looks at his family. And as a, as a dad, that's, that changes the game a little bit. It's not about job skills and it's not just about me. It's about some of the results of my leadership, right? And so that's a big deal. I see, first of all, here, one, one point I want to make is that it's the father's responsibility. Think about it. It doesn't, you're not going to find in the text, it's the father's responsibility. Here's how I reasoned to that, to that point, right? This is the husband who's the one looking at this position. He wants to be an overseer. And Paul says, okay, look at his life, examine these different areas. And one of those areas is his family. The implication there, and it's going to get pretty explicit in a little bit, but the implication is that he's the one responsible for how it's turning out. Or at least in some ways he will be held accountable for how it's turning out, which implies that he had the place of leadership in that regard. Right? And so that, that's what's going on in this passage. The, the husband is the one, the dad who's the, is the one who's being looked at for this position. And, and they're going to look at family and they're going to make an assessment on the effectiveness of his leadership based upon his family. It's the father's responsibility. Now, we're going to continue on this passage, but I, I, I want to I make a, a little side comment here. Um, it's not always easy. I have, I have two degrees in biblical studies. I have all kinds of stuff I could pass on to my kids and I sometimes still just forget to do it or I schedule it out of, uh, out of reality, right? I'm so busy that I, that I, I don't have time. I don't get to it. I, I often am guilty of not passing on to my kids these things, right? And so, um, I'm guilty of that and I'm the one I, I've got opportunity to do that and I've got a lot of stuff I could say to them. And you're sitting out there thinking, well, I'm busy too, but I don't have two degrees and, and uh, you know, how am I supposed to explain this? How, what am I supposed to pass on to my kids? So I, I want to encourage dads in that kind of uh, situation. We have other situations where we have moms. There's no dad in the house. Or maybe dad's gone a lot, right? And this kind of falls on mom. Or we have other situations where, you know, dad's not a believer and mom is. What's, you know, is mom just supposed to wait around until dad gets saved and then can finally start teaching the family? No. That's not, that's not the way it's going to be, but it's the parent's role and, and whichever, um, if the dad can at all do it, he, it would be best if he were the one teaching, even though mom may be the better teacher, which is quite often the case, but it kind of falls on the dad. If dad's not there. Dad doesn't know the Lord. Mom, step up and do this. Teach your kids and pass it on. How do you do it? Well, you don't have to go get two degrees. <laughs> you your pocketbook will thank you for that and, and all the time and everything else. Open the Bible up and read it to them. Start in Proverbs even. We, we talked about Proverbs being instruction that was passed on from a dad to his son, right? Start in Proverbs. And just around the dinner table, after dinner is done, before you've cleaned everything up, just open your Bible. We're going to read now. And just read a paragraph, a few verses. Until you run into something where you see one of your kids is like, what in the world does that mean? Or that's great. Or I totally disagree. Or whatever. And start the conversation. And now just explain it as best you can. So what happens if he gets stumped, right? 
Your kids ever ask you a question you don't know the answer to? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it happens. Well, I'll tell you what. Come put me on the spot. Or Pastor Woody. Or Chris. Yeah. <laughs> come come ask one of us. My, my son asked me this question. I don't know the answer. Put us on the spot, right? That's part of what we're supposed to be doing is helping you guys to understand and be able to explain those sorts of things. So it's a simple way to start. It doesn't have to be rocket science. It can be just a small way. Just read a little bit, explain it to your kids. So it's the father's responsibility. Uh, continuing on the second half of verse 4 there, training that is spiritual. All right, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 3, second half of verse 4, keeping his children submissive. Keeping them submissive. That doesn't mean subjugating them, right? Iron fist kind of thing. No. It's a situation where you've developed and trained uh, submissiveness in your child. That's a, that's a spiritual component. Uh, Titus is a, a, nearly a parallel passage. Titus 1.6 was also written by Paul, was also written to one of his disciples, instructing him in how to identify elders, overseers in the church. And I'll read you this from Titus 1 and verse 6. So it's the same kind of same kind of list. And he says, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of, of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Right. So you see, there's a very real spiritual component of this instruction that's expected of this guy in first Timothy three who wants to be an overseer in the church. So my instruction can't just be son. Here's how you make a, a good business decision. I need to teach my son that. But it needs to be grounded in and start as a spiritual instruction. I need to be teaching my kids spiritually. I need to be training them how to walk with God. And I could go on and on about that, but, uh, but we need to be passing on to our kids uh, those sorts of things. So if, if, you have, you know, if there's a dad who teaches his kids about money and about relationships, which you know, what, I don't, I'm not sure what all dads know about relationships, but if he's teaching his kids about relationships, about sex, right, about abstinence, about life, about education, about all these other things, and if you think about it, how many people, how many dads in our culture do you think actually do that? Pretty rare. Seems to me from my own personal experience. But if he's teaching all those things and the foundation is lacking, the spiritual foundation is lacking, we're going to run into issues later on because, as we saw in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning, the very beginning of understanding. So it's a spiritual instruction. And finally, point C there, verse 5, the home as microcosm. It's a microcosm, right? So they're looking at this guy. They're, they're trying to see uh, should he be... Uh, on the elder board or not, should he be one of the overseers of the church or not? They're examining his, his family, right? And the point is, there's some correlation between the way he manages his household and the way he's going to manage the church, right? So if you, if you get a guy who's really struggling to manage his household and he's got all kinds of issues with his kids and things are going on and stuff like that, you can expect that he's going to have similar results when he's managing the church, when he's in leadership in the church. And so the home is a microcosm. That's a big part of the reason we, um, and speaking of, of Stephanie and me, we, we uh, love connect groups because we get to be together as families. I love teaching in nearly any context. I love, I love being with you guys, and it's wonderful in a special way in a connect group because you get to see families interact a little bit more. We always eat together, and so you get to see how parents and kids interact. You get to see how children interact with dessert, <laughs> 
or with cleaning up afterwards or with each other or with conflict. And you get to see this kind of stuff because it helps us know how families are doing. And that's a, that's, that's a, one of the basic units uh, of the church and one of the basic units of life. So my instruction is, uh, is for all of us parents and particularly for dads. Look at your priorities. How do you spend your time and how do you spend your energy? Training your kids to know and walk with Jesus had better be very near the top of your priority list. If it's not, then you need to repent like I need to repent and start passing on to your children your faith and your wisdom and your experiences from following God in your own life. It's, it's no one else's responsibility but your own. It starts with the parents, particularly it starts with dad. The weight is on us. The church, we're here for you, but we are a distant second when it comes to spiritual impact in your kid's life to you. You are by far the primary impact on your kid's development spiritually. So grab the Bible and start teaching in some small way. It doesn't have to be a big Bible study. It doesn't have to be well thought out. It doesn't have to be a big designed kind of thing. If you want that, we have access to that kind of stuff. But open it and start reading. Answer questions. Try and raise questions with your kids and try and answer those questions. If you don't have it, call Pastor Woody. He's the best at answering these. He'd love to do that. Yeah, okay. He's, uh, all right. I thought if he's going to let me get away with it, I'd just, you know, let that hang out there. Sure. All right. So a couple implications. We're talking about leadership. Why am I talking about all this stuff? Why am I preaching on these things? And really the point is leadership. Well, a couple of reasons, because uh, I believe we learn leadership in the home, first of all. As, as, as a, a child, watching my parents lead, watching my dad lead, I'm learning about leadership. I may not follow that exact path. I may not be the exact kind of leader that my dad is or my mom is. But I will learn a lot about leadership in that kind of a context. And the foundation, as I've talked about, the spiritual foundation is being laid for all future leadership for this child who is growing up. They're going to use those things to become the kind of leader in the church, in society, in their family that they need to be. So there's instruction going on to the kids. But second of all, so there's leadership development there. But secondly, mom and dad, as you're a little scared to teach the Bible, uh, you wouldn't be the one to volunteer to fill in for you know, for Mike Parrish when he's traveling or something. Yeah, I'll, I'd love to teach Sunday school. I, you're not that guy, right? You're, you're the one who's a little bit intimidated to do that. You're learning leadership. You're learning leadership as you have practice and experience in a very safe place, right? With your kids. Your kids already love you and respect you. Open the Bible and, and teach them what you know. If you don't know much, learn a little more and then teach them. Just, just be two steps ahead of them. That's all you got to really do. Learn a little more and then teach them, right? So we're developing leadership in that way as you're teaching your kids, right? That's a great place to start. So leadership development. How do we become leaders? This, I, I've tried to lay the foundation and talk about what goes on in the home and, and those, those sorts of things because I believe it is going to bear great fruit in our lives in the future. It's going to bear great fruit in our church, in our community, and would bear great fruit in our culture, if we would do this, if we would take on teaching our kids to know and walk with God, starting in the home. So that's, that's my prayer for us. So why don't we pray? 
Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, you are our creator, that you designed us and you understand how we function. And, and more than that, you designed the family and you know how the family functions. You know how husbands and wives are to relate with each other. You know how children are supposed to be trained. Uh, you know the best way to do all that and you don't keep it secret from us, but you've told us in your word. Lord, I thank you for that. I pray that we would uh, be developing leaders uh, w- w- in our kids, that we would see their little leadership capacity grow and blossom as we teach them to fear the Lord, as we teach them truth about you, and as we teach them about life and how to make godly, wise decisions. And we teach those things based on things that, that you have taught us. And so we want to pass those on to our kids. I pray that you would do that. And I pray that, that people who are timid, and uh, would maybe like to be in leadership, but they're a little scared of certain aspects of it, maybe the teaching or their own biblical knowledge is lacking or something. I pray that, Lord, that you would bless them as they uh, step out in obedience and begin to teach their children what they know from your word. I pray that you would grow leadership, uh, grow leaders that way. Father, we trust you and we love you and we thank you for your word and for your spirit. Pray for your blessing on this group, uh, on those who are missing, on those who are ill, and on uh, those who, like Sarah, who are traveling to see someone who's ill, and pray for your blessing on them, Lord. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.